I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. We're going to continue with our class on uh, Pesach, talking about chametz and matzah and what it represents and what we can learn from a lot of the concepts that are uh, intertwined with the me- meaning of chametz and matzah. And specifically, we're going to talk again about time, about the mida called zrizut, which in English is alacrity. And it's considered to be one of the important midot that a person needs to be a proper evet Hashem, to grow in your spirituality and to develop yourself in a spiritual way. So just a quick review about last week's concepts that we learned. A few different ideas that I had never come into contact with before. Thank you to Dina Schoonmaker and all of her uh, research that she's taken care of for me. Um, but just generally, we know the general principle, which is that chametz is what prevents us from freedom, right? It's the food that is symbolic of enslavement. And that's why we need to get rid of every speck of chametz before we can start eating the matzah. Chametz is the Yetzirah. So the idea of Pesach is that we go for an entire week without the Yetzirah, right? We're only eating matzah because we are sort of free, living in this kind of liberated zone after the Seder of being free from our Yetzirah. Wow, wouldn't that be incredible, right? Perfect clarity, complete humility so that nothing gets us razzled, nothing gets us angry, nothing gets us upset or jealous or desirous or, you know, we are the masters. We are the masters over ourselves. And this obviously is freedom to be a master over your desires, to be a master over those things that make us unhappy, that make us sad that bring us to a place that we don't want to be. So matzah is humility, matzah is clarity, matzah is simplicity. And matzah is the food that we took out of Mitzrayim with us because it represented liberation. Now, we also mentioned that matzah is called the medicinal food. The Zohar brings down that it's the medicinal food, it's the food of healing. And it specifically comes to heal one in terms of their emuna, their belief in God, their emuna and their bitachon. Of course, we talked about the fact that the Jews in Mitzrayim were barely hanging on in terms of their Jewishness. The rabbis teach us that had they stayed in Mitzrayim for even one more moment, and this is why time is such an incredible theme of Pesach, they would have descended to the 49th level of spiritual impurity, of Tum'ah. And on this level, they would have been incapable of ever being redeemed. They would have been completely indistinguishable from the Egyptians, from the surrounding culture. 
And like so many Jews throughout Jewish history, they would have just evaporated into the culture in which they lived. So Hashem literally took them out, Keheraf Ayin, in the blink of an eye, the Chippazon, with tremendous speed, because one more second, this is the importance of time and the idea of Zrizut, of alacrity, they would have, again, been lost to the pages of history. So we said that matzah is the food of emuna. Matzah is the food of bitachon. Chametz represents process. It represents the middle of the story. It represents the, 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 the classics, right? Reading the entire classic Hamlet, as opposed to reading the Cole's notes, right? Matzah are the Cole's notes. It's the, it's the scrunched up version. It's the speeded up version. Because Hametz is that place of doubt. Hametz is the place where we worry, where we don't know what the end is going to be, where we're not sure that Hashem is with us, that we're not sure that he really cares about us, that he's taking care of us. This is the place of Hametz. We're in the middle of the story. But Matz is the idea of resolution, of seeing the end of the story, of understanding that Hashem who is above time sees past, present, and future all at once. He sees everything all at the same time. The exodus from Egypt is going on right now for Hashem, the same way what's going on today is going on for Hashem. There is no difference. He sees the entire story and he knows the end, and he knows that the end is a good end, not just for the entire world, but for each one of us individually. It's gonna be a happy ending. Right, my Rebbitson always used to say, if you leave the movie in the middle of the story, you're watching a Cowboys and Indians movie, or you're watching a good guy, bad guy movie, and you go and get popcorn in the middle of the movie, you know, and the bad guys are winning. You know, she said, if you don't come back, you know, it looks like the bad guys won. I mean, it's clear from the middle of the movie, they're, 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 they're stronger, they're, they're trickier, they're, you know, they've got all the power. But she said, but you got to come back for the end of the movie because at the end of the movie, the good guys always win. And that's really the paradigm for life. You know, God created the world with a purpose and the world is going towards its destination with all of its twists and turns and ups and downs. But the end of the movie is good. And that's the matzah. The matzah is being able to raise yourself above time because what did we say about chametz and matzah? Comets and matzah, the only difference is time. Again, it's only a, a second or two seconds. It's the difference between a mitzvah and an avera, right? Flour and water left for 18 minutes or, or baked before the time of 18 minutes passing is matzah. It's a mitzvah to eat it. Matzot, mitzvot. Same letters, okay? But a few more seconds, the flour and water begins to ferment begins to rise something chemical begins to happen and it begins to be to become chametz and now to eat that on pesach is considered an avera and all it is the same mixture the same ingredients and all we're talking about is time so we're going to speak a little bit more about this idea of time and the idea of matzah being above time matzah being able 
that when we live in the place of matzah, when we imbibe the matzah into us, not just physically, but spiritually, integrating it into our psyche, into our way of looking at the world, of seeing Hashem in everything, recognizing we're in the middle of a process, believing that Hashem already has the answer, even if we don't yet, right? What we do is we are connecting ourselves to a place of transcendence, a place of metaphysicality where Hashem resides. And this is where we're connecting our neshama, right? That which is timeless and eternal to a place above time because time is a physical creation. Past, present, and future is the way we live on this linear timeline, right? Past, present, and future. But we want to live on a timeline that spirals up. And every time we come around to that same place on the calendar, we are different. We are higher. We've tapped into the spiritual energies of that holiday that are released into the world at this time. The ability to be liberated, the ability to be free of the Yetzirah is more um, available to us than at any other time of year. Every holiday has its unique spiritual energy that we can tap into, says Rabbi Dessler, that is unique to its event. And that's what we do. And that's what all of the mitzvot are there to help us with. The Seder night, all of the different things that we do physically with our bodies, because we're physical people. They're meant to affect us internally and help us to get there and grow there. Okay, so let's talk a little bit now more about this concept of zrizut. Okay, zrizut means alacrity in English, doing things with alacrity. And I looked up the word in uh, the dictionary just to see what the common uh, meaning of it is. And this is what I found. It says speed, doing things quickly, brisk and cheerful readiness, zeal, haste, swiftness, readiness that's often manifested by quick, lively action. So, you know, the word speed and quick and fast comes up over and over again. And that's often what people think of when they think of alacrity, when they think of, you know, zrizut in Hebrew. But we're going to learn that as much as speed is important, that it also has to be a speed that is prefaced with intention, purpose, thought, because just recklessly doing things, even speedily, could actually be the epitome of being lazy, right? Not thinking things through, just rushing into things. Rabbi Palm, Zechot Tzadik Livracha from New York, uh, official Schachter quotes him as saying, the real meaning of Zrizus is to think slowly and then to move quickly on it. In other words, to really make sure that what your action is going to be is the right one, but then moving on it quickly, not procrastinating, 
you remember last week we said that when you do something quickly, you send a certain message, right? The Mechilta says, just like you don't delay with the matzah, you should not miss opportunities for a mitzvah, right? We said that the same uh, verse in the Torah that says, Ushmartem et mitzvot, that you should guard the, sorry, Ushmartem et matzot, that you should guard the matzot, make sure they don't become chametz. The rabbis read into that a drosh that says, Ushmartem et mitzvot that you need to guard the mitzvot and make sure they don't become chametz, meaning make sure you do your mitzvah right away. We have many examples in the Torah, especially in Chumash Bereshit, that shows the alacrity of our great uh, forefathers and foremothers, right? We know the famous that when uh, Avraham was asked to sacrifice his son on the uh, Kedah, right? When he was asked to give up his son, we're told that he got up early that morning, right? Instead of schlepping out of bed and saying, oh my God, this is the day I have to go sacrifice my, my son. He got up with Zrizut. He saddled his own donkey, we're told. Abraham was a very wealthy man. He had many, many servants, but he did it himself, right? We have another example of Abraham when he's serving the three angels that come to his home. And he's serving them and it says, Vayaratz, Vayakam. But there are all these words that express alacrity. That yes, he had many servants who could do the job of hospitality to guests. But he wanted to do the mitzvot himself. And the way he did the mitzvot were not to allow them to become chametz, to do them with speed. When you do things with speed, it all, it's, it's as if it does not become physical anymore. You rise up to a level of spiritual. Again, you touch the place of metaphysical time, the place where God resides. And that's why alacrity is so crucial to the Jewish spiritual personality of an Evid Hashem of one who serves God. And of course, it's not only in terms of mitzvot between us and Hashem, right? The person who gets to shul early, who's always there uh, before the davening starts and shows that this is so important to him. The woman who gets up early and before she eats or does anything else in her day, she opens up her sitter and says her morning brachas and says, this is what's important to me. This is what, you know, I'm getting on Devorah Vale's class, even though I got a million things to do for Pesach, right? But this is what's important to me. I need that spiritual boost. I need to take care of my neshama before I, you know, go through my physical, very, very physical day. I want to imbue my physical activities with a spiritual tone. So this sends a message. And when we can do the same act, but we do it slowly and, you know, shuffling our feet or with a look on our face, you know, we deliver our husband's shoelaces, if you remember the example, three weeks later after he asked us to get him a pair, or we take our kid, you know, shop, whatever it is that they need, right? We don't get our kid glasses until six months after they've been uh, diagnosed with a reading issue. And all it was, was simply getting them some glasses. So the point is, it's the same act that's not done quickly, no longer becomes a mitzvah. 
but could actually become detrimental, right? So it's interesting, this uh, Rav Shakti was talking about this president of the United States uh, named Calvin Coolidge. I think he was very famous, I, I know that name. And the reason he was so famous, it says, is that he was a man of very few words. And they say the same as of Biden. My husband said they don't like Biden to speak. They don't want him to speak. He hasn't had any press conferences since he's been president because they're worried he's senile. And he might say something that isn't, you know, I mean, I don't know exactly. But the point is, is Biden may also be a man of very few words. And anyway, Calvin Coolidge was a man of few words. And once he was with a reporter who was nudging him, trying to get him to answer a whole bunch of questions. And finally, he was completely, you know, uh, apoplectic about not being able to get Coolidge to speak. So he finally said to him in exasperation, you know, I had a bet with somebody that I could get you to say three words in a row. So Calvin Coolidge answered him. What did he answer him? He answered him, you lose. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, so a few more ideas regarding uh, haste and alacrity and the holiday of Pesach, okay? We know that as we're getting closer, we're all speeding up, right? We're all speeding up. We all have to get things done. We all have to be organized. We all have to think about what we're doing and then get to it. Otherwise, it's not going to happen or it will happen, but it won't be fun, right? <laughs> uh, so the idea is that in Shmot Yudbet Lamatate test, it says that Jews had to leave Bechipazon in haste. Okay, the Bnei Yisrael baked the matzahs, we know, but there was no time for them to rise. Now, what's so important about this fact? What does it mean that they had no time to turn it into bread? So the altar of Kelm says that this is an expression of geula, of redemption. He says, redemption always comes at a time when you weren't ready. When you didn't quite finish getting all your material needs in order. He says, Geula comes when your material physical world is not so perfect. And it actually is coming in this kind of speed because it's letting us know that when we're willing to let go of our material perfection, you know, and on Pesach, that means having all the kids matching in matching outfits, you know, or baking your seven layer cake out of cake meal that is left over from last year. Okay, in my case, whatever, okay. Um, that by, by not having everything perfect materially, what you're doing is you're making room for spirituality. And that's why Geula comes with this haste in a way where people are kind of off center. They're imbalanced. You know, everything is not perfect. Because the altar of Kelm explains that the prerequisite for Geula is imperfect gashmiut. The word gashmiut in, in Hebrew represents materialism, physicality. It has the root of the word geshem, which means rain, right? Because rain is what makes everything grow. Rain is the source of all physical bounty in this world. 
okay? So Gashmiut is not perfect, okay? It's not a punishment, it says. Rather, the Geula requires a spiritual awakening from below. And a spiritual awakening always goes together with a loosening sense of our Gashmias. You know, much like as we grow older, our taste, our senses, our physical being begins to loosen. You know, our senses are not as sharp as they once were. And it's like Hashem is readying us for a more spiritual existence that, that we're going to enter at the end of this worldly life. And it's making people lose their grip, so to speak, on the material. Now, you know, we know that so many people as they get older and especially if they're, you know, they've reached that place of comfort materially, they naturally start wanting to explore spirituality and what life's really about. You know, we spend a lot of our time rutsing, running and running and running. And then all of a sudden when, you know, we have nothing to run after or we can't run or like this virus, this pandemic has done, it's made people have to stop, right? It forces people to have to take a look again at maybe some of the questions they had when they were young. You know, what am I living for? What's life about? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? Is it just about eating and drinking and acquiring? You know, is it whoever has the most toys wins? Is that what it's all about? And so as the physical part of ourselves begins to loosen, this is the same idea that in order for a spiritual awakening, um, you know, the ge'ula will come when the physical part of our lives is not perfect. It says ge'ula is liberation. Freedom is in the mind. Materialism creates worries. Right, we say Shlomo Hamelik said, "The more money, the more worries. The more possessions, the more worries. He who has one hundred wants two hundred. Materialism is like salt water. The more you drink, the more you're addicted to it. The more thirsty you are for it. Right. So, I mean, these are all things that we get caught up in in the middle part of our lives. You know, it says that." Um, Taiva, kina, and kavod remove a person from this world. Taiva is desires. Kina is jealousy. And kavod is honor, the searching for honor from other people. And I once heard a, a vort, which I thought was very um, true. It said that each of these uh, things that, that, that make our lives miserable, so to speak, or remove us from the clarity of life, happen at different stages of our life. So they said taiva, desires are part of younger years, right? Teenagehood, the younger years when you are ruled by your desires, by pleasures, by the desire to want, to have fun, to, to try new thrills, to, you know, whatever it is. Jealousy, they said, are the middle years of life where you're busy acquiring and you're, you know, so so totally involved in, you know, looking at what the other people have and whether or not you're a success compared to what other people's material well-being is. And that's how you're measuring yourself. You know, what, you know, what do you do? What do you, what do you, in other words, what do you make? How much money is in your bank account? That's what I really want to know, right? I don't really care who you are. I want to know how much you're worth, right? So, so that's the middle part of life. 
And then you get to the end part of life. And if you still haven't turned yourself towards a more spiritual uh, view of the world, then you get very caught up in kavod, right? It's the end of your life. And all you have left is the kavod that other people are going to give you. So you want your names on those buildings and you want people to recognize when you come into the room. And it's very important for older people in general, we honor them anyway, because we should. But if it's an honor that's coming from a place of um, low self-esteem or low self-worth because the person never built themselves up spiritually, then it's not a fun place to be. As the, as the Mishnah says, it removes a person from the world, meaning they can't enjoy life. They can't enjoy the world because they're consumed by these three things, taiva, kina, and kavu. Okay, anyway, um, so the lessening of Gashmias is symbolized by matzah. Matzah is this imperfect bread. It's this bread that didn't work. It didn't come out. The recipe didn't happen. I'm embarrassed. My guests are coming. And instead of a beautiful challah, I'm serving them this flat piece of challah, right? Have you ever had that happen where you're, you know, you're explaining to your guests, my challah is usually better. It really is. I don't know what happened this week. I mean, you know, I put in the same ingredients. I don't know. It just, I'm telling you, oh no, it's fine. It's really good. No, you don't know. You don't know how good it really could be, right? Don't tell me it's good. You have no idea. Come back next week. Okay. Anyway, the point is, you know, like, can you imagine you're making your beautiful challah and instead you get this matzah and there's no time to do anything about it? It's a total flop, okay? So the idea is, you know, that we need to lower our standards, that matzah is symbolized by something that's imperfect. And basically the idea of matzah is God is telling us you can live with less. You might even like a simpler life. You might even like the freedom and liberation it affords you. Because the city of happiness, like we say all the time, is in the state of mind. And if your whole race towards acquisition is to keep up with the Schwartzes, hi, Judy, right? Then, you know, it's, it's a race that has no finish line. And it certainly doesn't bring you what you're really looking for. Okay, so that's one message about... Um, Okay, another idea that I want to talk about, and then we're going to get to Zrizus a little bit more, is the Sefer HaChinuch says that a person is drawn after his actions. Our actions affect our heart. We said this before, that the external things that we do affect us internally. You don't feel like smiling, but you put a smile on your face, and immediately you begin to feel differently inside. You switch negative thoughts to positive thoughts, and it changes the way you feel, right? And even, even just physically getting up, moving, going outside for a walk, doing something for somebody else, whatever it is, those external actions move you to a different place. And that's always the way to do it when you're feeling stuck, right? Go out and find somebody who's worse off than you. Give somebody a call. Get up and take a walk around the block. Take a hot shower. Whatever it is, get yourself moving because the external affects the internal. Your heart goes after your actions. Okay? 
But that's only true, Rabbi Chaim Friedlander says, when there's no dissonance between the two. It's only true if you really want to change. The external will affect the internal. But if you don't care really about it, or you really, or you don't really want to be a changed person, then it won't affect you. But if you really wanted to, and the example that he gives is like davening, like, like saying your prayers with kavana, right? You can say the same words, and of course it's an external activity, right? You're doing it, but it's not moving you at all. You know, while you're saying those words, you're thinking about what you have to do today, and you're thinking about somebody who offended you, and you're thinking about uh, how you've got to, you know, get the potato starch before it's just all off the shelves, you know, um, you know, and you're not really there. You're not there. So it's not going to change you. It's not going to do anything to you. But if you allow the words to move you, if you have intention, if you have focus, if you want those external actions that you're doing to have an impact on you internally, then they will. We clean our houses for Pesach. The whole purpose is to affect our hearts, to think about the real chametz. It's not about getting rid of the crumbs. You know, it's exciting when you find a pretzel. You know, I was lying in bed one night, late at night. My husband was moving the, the couches in the den, you know, that the kids come and play in. And he came upstairs so excited. He showed me a whole pretzel. You know, and it was like, yeah, yay, right? You feel so good when you find that, right? But that's pretzels inside of you. That's your pretzel, okay? You've got pretzels inside of you that need to be gotten rid of. And the same, you know, triumph, the same idea of finding those crumbs around your house, ferreting them out in the corners and in every place and in your pockets and even on your clothing that you wore during the year, little smudges of it, right? You're trying to find the big pieces, the little pieces, the, the microscopic pieces, because we have an opportunity at this time of year to really get in there and really get rid of it or to feel what it feels like to get rid of it for one week, to be free of it. And then we come back into the Hametzdika world. We come back to the world we knew, but we're different. We're different people because we've gotten rid of the excess. We've gotten rid of the stuff that gets in our way. We've tried to simplify. We've tried to get rid of the illusions, the things that keep us enslaved. We've tried to become masters over our emotions, anger and arrogance, and all the things that Hametz represents, laziness, sadness. So we're not supposed to just clean without thinking about the metaphysical chametz. Right? I want to be in a place of less worry, of less doubt. I want to be in a place of bitachon, of emuna, that I really believe that Hashem has my back, that he's taking care of me that these challenges that he gives me are meant for my good, that the end of the story is going to be great. It's going to be, and they lived happily ever after. And, and the Jewish people lived happily ever after. And each one of us lived happily ever after, right? 
We get obsessive about the cleaning, but the whole purpose is to check your heart and clean out the negatives. If you clean your house with the intention of removing metaphysical hummets, then the cleaning itself is going to have an effect on you, right? We feel like slaves while we're cleaning. We feel like slaves. We're working hard. We're sweating, right? And yeah, we, I think that's part of it. We're supposed to feel like slaves. We're moving. We're moving out. We're moving out and we're moving in, right? We're shaking things up. We're shaking things up. And yes, we're supposed to use our most beautiful possessions for our Pesach Seder. And we're supposed to dress in our finest clothing on Pesach. And there is a place for the material and the physical, but it's all a means to an end. We give the body what it likes so that our spiritual part of us can thrive. We quiet the body down. We say, here's a candy. Here's some nice clothes. Here's some good food. Now leave me alone. Leave me alone so that I can open myself up to the spiritual opportunity. We don't want to get sunk in it. Geula comes when materialism is loosened, when we're not ready, when things aren't perfect, like the matzah. My goal in Pesach is not to look like my neighbor who's incredibly efficient and makes seven-layer Pesach cakes. Okay? It's not my goal to be ready by Hanukkah and have all my kugels in my freezer. Okay? That's not the goal. Hashem doesn't care. In the shtetl, they ate potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. And it took them a few hours to prepare and they were done. But unfortunately, we are so covered up with our affluence, with our excess, that what's become de rigueur today, I mean, is just, sadly, it buries us. And we lose the point and we fall asleep in our matzah ball soup, but hooray, everybody's going to eat that seven layer cake, right? That I killed myself over. And I'm going to Olam Habad to the best seat in the house because of that seven layer cake, Right. And of course, your kids and your husband would say, Ma, we'd rather you not make the seven layer cake and just be nice you know? <laughs> and stop getting angry at everybody. Right. OK, we'll have one less kugel. It'll be OK. You know, but no, Ma's got to do it. You know, she's got to do it. Who knows why? Right. But we have to do it because we're Jewish women. Like, you know, that's our badge of honor. That we were able to do all of this and, and actually drag ourselves to the Pesach table looking somewhat normal. <laughs> you know? It's not really the way it ever was. It's a, new, uh, it's a new thing, I think. I mean, you know, maybe in places where Jews were always affluent or more affluent, it was more like that. But, you know, as wonderful as affluence is, it's also the cause of many of our ills. And uh, perhaps the, the pressure of Pesach is one of them. Okay, so we have to prioritize, and that's, and that's what alacrity is about, too. It's like you're going to be doing a lot of stuff. You're going to be doing a lot of things with speed, but you kind of have to ask yourself, you know, we all have areas of strength, Revolba says, but what about something that's a value and a priority for me, and yet my actions are not reflecting that? I have certain things that are a priority, but what I'm doing is not reflecting my priorities or my values. And the examples that 
Dina Schoonmaker gives us, for example, I can't make time being with the grandchildren, even though I want to be the grandmother that has an incredible relationship with each one of them. Where there is something that is a priority for me, and yet my behavior doesn't produce this message. There's a disconnect, okay? Now, part of it is maybe because I don't care enough. You know, let's say I make a goal that the first thing in my day is going to be my opening up my sitter and saying my morning blessings. And there's going to be initial resistance because it's something new, right? Something's going to happen. People are going to call you. You just watch. You decide to take a mitzvah on. I can tell you the entire forces of the universe will align themselves together to get you not to be able to do it, okay? As soon as you make up your mind, I am going to get up in the morning. I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm going to open my sitter. I'm going to say hello to God. Thank you for making me alive. Be with me on this day. I can guarantee you, you're going to have all kinds of things happening that are going to get in the way. I'm giving you that example, but it's for any mitzvah. Anytime you want to up your ante, right? Spiritually, probably happens physically too. Things get in the way. Okay, so the question is, how important is it to you? What will you do? What, how will you overcome the resistance? And how much more meaningful will it be to you when you've overcome that resistance? So the idea of matzah, of zrizos, is to take on something that I never finish. Take on something that I always postpone or delay and try to take it on now. Try to do it today. What can I do that is right now chametz-like, that I can learn to do more energetically? You know, I always have this vision of my mother. I mean, maybe you had some mothers like this too, but my mother was really like the 50s. I remember as a kid that when my father would come home from work, my goodness, that was like, you know, like call out the, the uh, call out the, <laughs> what's the word the trumpets you know it was just like I, I remember my mother running upstairs like she was you know and, and changing okay she would change she would change into something else she put on her lipstick you know she'd come running downstairs to greet him like you know if I get off the couch it's a big deal right forget about changing I mean you know whatever and it was like this was like the most and, and this was all done with incredible zrizos, you know, it was just like, shoo, you know, but obviously she was sending a very clear message to us, right? Or like, you know, even in the mornings, I remember as a kid, I'd come down for breakfast and nobody else's place on the table was set, right? Everybody else was fend for yourself, get your own breakfast. I don't care what you eat. Here's some burnt toast, right? But my father's place was, was always, my mother was always scraping burnt toast going, it's fine, it's fine, you know? She's a bit of a pyromaniac. But anyway, you know, my father's place was always like, you know, there was this hot steaming cup of coffee and the placemat and the bowl that was like, you know, ready and like or glass of orange juice. It was like, you know, whoa, this is like sacrosanct. This is like sacred space, you know? Anyway, whatever. The alacrity that she made this a priority and, and, and it became obviously very easy to her. I don't know if it was ever hard for her, but you know, 
We have areas in our life where we need to demonstrate that more and we don't. Our, our, our actions contradict our priority and our value. And even though we know that's a value for us, we don't make time for it or it gets pushed to the side or it gets delayed or you know, the seven layer cake is more important than that because that's about me. Okay, it's about me wanting to please my family, but we have to be very careful with that, ladies, because a lot of times it's about me. And if they don't like that seven layer cake or you know, they don't eat it, they're gonna get it because I worked hard on that cake, right? Don't tell me you're not, you don't like, like it, right? I remember Dr. Spock, I, I loved this when I had little kids, he said, don't make fancy meals for your little kids, okay? Because why not? Because if you make a fancy meal or you've gone, you know, you've worked hard to make a, a, something that you're sure they're going to love and it's taken you a lot of time and then they go, Ugh, I hate this. This is terrible. You're going to get really angry. Okay. So make sure you put in very little effort into, especially when they're little, I'm saying when they really only like simple foods, right? And then if they say, ugh, you know, and they want a peanut butter and jam sandwich instead or a peanut butter sandwich, you won't be as destroyed, you know, because, you know, you have to have it. You have to eat this. You have to like this, you know, you must like this or else, right? Okay. Anyway, sorry, I'm just having fun with myself. So that's the question, ladies. That's the homework. What is that in your life? I get to it eventually, but it wouldn't be the same if I would do it right away. And I've given the example with tefillah because it's an easy one, right? When we get up right in the morning and we do something right away, it's a different type of davening than when you're scrambling to do it. And everything's chasing after you. It's like everything's chasing at your heels and you keep trying to run towards it, but something chases you in another way. It will become a different type of davening and it's the same for everything, right? First, I'm gonna do this. First, I'm gonna do the laundry. Then I'm gonna take a shower. Then I'm gonna eat breakfast. Then I'm gonna call my friend. Then I'm gonna go to the bank and then I'll daven. But it doesn't happen. So think about things in your own life right now, right? where you might want to do it and it might be a priority, but the way that you behave, the things that you put ahead of it are not reflecting your true value system. What's really a priority. Okay, so the house won't be as clean or this and that, but I'll have my grandchildren over. Okay, they'll make a big mess and they'll spill all over the floor and I'll have to clean up, but you know, ultimately what's more important, right? or whatever it is, having guests, um, you know, whatever it is that just, we don't really want to do it, but then by not doing it, what are we giving up? What are we giving up? So Stephen Covey, in one of his books, I'm not sure which one, he says there's a difference between urgent and important. The urgent things in our day seem to get done, but often the important things don't get done. 
So we see this with a busy mother, right? She's doing everything she has to do in the day, right? Cooking, doing laundry, keeping the house in order. These are urgent. Everybody needs clean socks. But, you know, sometimes your priorities change, especially, again, we've had this shift with this virus and this corona pandemic this year, where a lot of people's values and priorities have shifted. Thank God for good. Right? People have spent more time with their families. Kids are getting more attention from their parents. And, you know, the new urgent might be spending time with the kids. It might be that the cleaning for Pesach isn't perfect because at risk is stress and anger, right? Sometimes we neglect what's important because of the urgent. You know, important like working on the relationship with your mother or your mother-in-law or doing favors for people. They may not clamor for your attention, but we have to try to pay attention to them. Making time for a relationship, making time for your own health. They may not be urgent, but they're important. And so sometimes we have to move urgent over for something that's important. So back to the chametz and matzah, what do I feel is important, but it just doesn't get done? I do care about it, but the message isn't getting across. Whether it's to my friends, to my children, to my spouse, to those people in my environment. It's not getting across. I do it in a haphazard way. My chametz could have been matzah, but too much time waxed and waned in between. Or even, you know, making an apology to somebody. This is very important. So there's, in Tehillim, it says, shalom request peace and run after it. So part of Zrizut is being proactive, right? Being efficient and quick. An example would be an apology. Making an apology for something you might have said or done. The difference between apologizing immediately and waiting two months until you make an apology, well, we know what the difference is, right? A person's supposed to be a rodef shalom. The word rodef means to pursue, to run after, and not let it get out of your grasp, right? Bakke shalom fehu. Desire peace and run after it. So you don't want to let things fester. When you have an argument, you want to run after peace. You want to do this now. There's a story by Rav Yaakov Friedman, who's the Rosh Hashiva of Beitar. He said, said that in his lifetime, he remembers how someone had wronged him and treated him very badly as a child. And his mother was very empathetic and very validating, and she agreed with him. But she told him to go and apologize to the person. Okay, and do it thoroughly and efficiently and don't let things fester because that's Hamid's. I guess he had something to do with it too. It says time can affect something badly, 
On a spiritual level, it creates a blemish if you wait too long. If you wait too long to do that mitzvah, it becomes a flawed mitzvah. It's not the same mitzvah anymore. It has a blemish. It's not worth as much. It went down from being gold to being copper or less. The more time it takes, the more physical it becomes. When it's done in a slow way, you're not communicating the same caring. Again, the word ruts and ratzon are related. Ruts means to run, right? To do things with speed, to do them right away. And ratzon is your will, your desire. The things that you run to do show what your will is, show what you care about. So while you're cleaning out your homes for chametz, you should internalize the messages and let the cleaning affect you. Where is the chametz in my life? What could I do more efficiently? Where could I communicate more caring in my interpersonal relationships or in certain mitzvot that I do? How could I make them more important, more primary? Because Mats is the idea of doing an act quickly to show that I care. Okay, we have a few more minutes. I don't know whether I, you want to open this up and have a conversation or if anybody has any questions on anything, we could do that um, if, if you'd like. Or I can just continue whatever... The consensus is, anybody have any questions? You can unmute yourself. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I have a question. Sure. Okay. If you're in a situation where from the other party, somebody else, things have been so-called festering for years and then they just attack you with most of it not even truths, but things that have they kind of made up in their mind. How do you, as the recipient of this kind of abuse, react in a way that will clear your neshama in a way, but yet you, you feel you didn't provoke any of this. You feel, and a lot of it was untruth. How do you respond to clear yourself? Good question. So, I mean, when we speak about hakpada, which is internalized anger and resentment, right? There's different ways that we can let go of resentment and anger. You're talking about somebody else who has it against you, though, which yes. obviously that's yes. their job to do. That's Unjustly. Job. Unjustly, Unjustly yeah. for sure, but that's their job to do. And you can't, you can't uh, force people to do that, right? But if you're the butt of their um, behaviors because they are still festering with their unresolved anger, right? There's very little you can do except feel compassion and pity for them. And listen, if you can distance yourself from them and not have to be in relationship with them, if they're not circle one people that are living in your home, or people that are relatives and friends, you know, who, who are not, you know, if they're circle two people that are at a distance, then you just have to protect yourself. That's yeah. all. And you have to realize that it's their issue and not yours. Right. Okay. You know, that's all. Sorry and compassion. And you can even dove in for them that they should get over it. 
Right. right. You know, for sure. For sure. Anybody else? Any other questions? Thank you, Deborah. You're welcome. Thanks, Harriet, for bringing that up. I'm sure a lot of people have that uh, somewhere in their life. There are also people that, you know, if you've, if you've had a issue with them and it was a long, long time ago, it's not always good to bring up the past. So sometimes we say, you know, just let it go and just don't bother trying to fix it. When something happens more immediately, like, you know, in the recent past, that's really what we're talking about, that you don't want to build up toxic feelings about another person, right? We're not allowed to hate another person in our heart. According to the Torah, according to Halacha, hatred is literally um, going three days with having animosity against somebody in your heart. Or the way that they describe it is three different episodes where you could have made up with them, but you didn't and you allowed it to keep going. Okay? So we are supposed to try to crumble the... Uh, intensity and the resentment and the anger as quickly as possible because otherwise it really becomes a monument inside of us it becomes hardened and it becomes very difficult to get rid of so that's why you know in terms of going forward you know which is what coaching is all about right it's about moving from the present to the future whenever that something does come up that could be begin to feel like, you know, internalized anger and resentment, we want to try to crumble it as quickly as we can. And of course, we have different tools to be able to do that. Sometimes it's just a matter of yourself letting it go without having a conversation with another person and processing it. And, you know, keeping in mind the Pasuk that Shem says, when you give people uh, the benefit of the doubt, or when you let things go, that really it was unjust and they did do you wrong, but you let it go. Hashem responds by letting things go when it comes to you and your relationship with Hashem that are also less than perfect and that are also not necessarily in sync with what, you know, is considered proper and right. So, but it's very important to try and take care of it immediately. And then it I'm, doesn't very, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. And I'm yeah. usually, I move, try to move forward on, yeah. on most issues with people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do. I'm very forthcoming. I like to be honest. If something, you know, happens and I feel maybe the other person took it wrongly, I will go and I will speak about it. Excellent. That's great. That I'm takes a lot I'm of moving. confidence and, and it um, takes a lot of clear thinking because we get, you know, we get caught up in our own thoughts. No, life is we too make short. it bigger and bigger and bigger, right? We make it bigger life and bigger and it becomes more. Yeah, no. It becomes a boulder that we start pushing, right? Or that we carry. And we don't yeah, yeah. want to. We don't want to. We don't need it. No. We don't want it. We're going to talk a lot about that too and how it gets in the way of alacrity. How it's difficult when you're carrying something. And it can be an emotional thing and it can be something that's never going away. And it does get into, it does, uh, it does prevent us from having that zrizus, that, that ability to move. But sometimes it can be something that we just have to recognize that I don't have to carry this anymore. Why am I carrying this? Why am I allowing this to drag me down emotionally, physically, and get in the way of my ability to, to have zrizus? Right, right. So, yeah, there's a lot of different things that can uh, affect 
our ability to move quickly and not procrastinate and not keep putting things off, um, including making up with people and clearing the air and getting rid of negativities and bad feelings by either directly having a conversation, which is difficult. I mean, if you go to my Hapada classes on accessing your best self, you, you will hear a lot about the different tools of what to do when you are plagued by internalized anger and resentment. And of course, with circle one people, which I've spoken about are your immediate family members who you don't choose, right? But Hashem chooses them for you, for your soul correction. Um, you know, they're not as easy to get rid of. So we have to do the work. Um, but circle two people who are people that you do choose. So, you know, you can decide if a friendship becomes toxic or there's really nothing good about this anymore. It's much easier to say, okay, I'm letting this go. You know, and of course, um, circle three are just people who come in and out of your life. So they're much easier to apologize to or to say, whoops, or not. And it doesn't really affect you so deeply. But it's all about how we navigate relationships. And, you know, I mean, in my family too, growing up, it's like you, you didn't, you didn't, you got over it. You know, you were an idiot if you didn't get over it. You know, my father would slap you around a few times and say, move on. You know? I mean, not literally, but metaphorically he would. It was like, you know, uh, you just don't waste time on it. He was really always very upset about family feuds or it was very important to him and you know I always say about my father there were five of us and if you know we had hatreds against each other or grudges against each other or we felt like you know one is favored over the other one of my father's you know and he didn't he was a big talker but yet he was very succinct when it came to his lessons for life He'd say things that just went right into your kishkas and just never left you. And one of them was he would hold up his five fingers, you know, all of us kids. And of course, there were five of us, right? So he would say, which finger would I cut off? <laughs> which one should I cut off? Right? And he would my basically... Father, my, my mother used to say the same thing to us. There you go. It must be like a, a European thing. It must be a Yiddish expression, right? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. He had the, he yeah. had these Yiddish expressions. Like, he didn't have to say anything else. It was like, whoa, you know? I mean, he had another one. Oh, I don't even want to tell you the one he used to say to me. Whatever. Whenever I was nasty, he'd always say to me, you're so beautiful on the outside. You know, he'd say... <laughs> He'd say, you're so beautiful on the outside. He'd say, maybe we could turn you inside out for a little while. <laughs> Can I say something? To I don't know. That's probably Yiddish too. No, who else would come up with that? Yeah, go ahead, Ken. Me? I better stop this recording.